Today's podcast is brought to you by Hide Tools. You know the name. When you think of Hide Tools, you probably think surface prep, joint knives, taping knives, multi-tools, drywall, sanding. They've been making these tools since most of us were even born, but not longer than Emily's been around. Emily, when you think of Hide Tools, what do you think of? You know, I think I really think about all the things you just said, but you know, there's one thing I've always wondered, which is why doesn't Hyde make applicators? They do. That's the <gasps> big surprise announcement today. Yes, I know. Right. Sincere shock is what you're hearing in my voice. Hyde has introduced the evolution lineup of brushes and rollers. And of course, we know that Hyde works a ton with painting contractors. They work with their own pro club. They love feedback from contractors. Emily, what do you think? I keep asking you, Emily, because you represent the common man. No one is more common <laughs> than Emily Howard. When Hyde asked contractors, what do they want in rollers? What do you think they said? You know, if I were going to make a guess based on things that I've, I've talked to contractors about, I think that they'd probably say that they want them to be lint free. Two for two. Emily nailed it. The Evolution microfiber roller covers are guaranteed. 100% lint free, unlike the sweaters that Emily wears all the time. Emily, third question for you. What do you think contractors said when Hyde asked them, what do they want in a paintbrush? You know, we have been talking in the magazine a lot about comfort, something that fits comfortably in your hands so that you're getting a little bit less fatigued throughout the day. Nailed it. Comfort, just like this radio read. That's what we've got. Comfort the paintbrush handle that actually fits your hand comfortably. They designed a unique oval-shaped handle that nestles perfectly into your hand. So the brushes, they come in all sorts of sizes. The microfiber roller covers, they come in the regular nine-inch mini, jumbo mini, all the different nap heights. These products are hot off the presses and are not yet available online. So keep an eye out at your favorite hardware or paint store just look for the evolution on the package with the trusty Hyde logo next to it. Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. The only place to hear the APC podcast is on Paint Radio, so you are darn happy and lucky to be right where you are. I'm Andrew. Emily is here, and today on the podcast, we're talking about culture. Not just because I'm probably the most cultured person you know, but because <laughs> it's the cool, hip topic. It's awesome, I think. Some people probably don't like it, but I think most people like that company culture is getting as much attention as it is, because when done right, that's an awesome thing for the employer. When done right, it's a great thing for the employee. And we're all about great things for the employer and the employee here at APC. So talking about culture, we've got two guests. I'm going to refer to them as the champions of chill, the heroes of happy. That's who we've got today. Josh Abramson, founder of Albright Painting in Los Angeles. Josh, thanks for being on the podcast. You're welcome, Andrew and Emily. Glad to be here. And. Joining Josh as the champion of chill is Cole Palea, owner of Novo Painting and Property Services in Seattle, Washington. Cole, thank you for being on the podcast. Aloha. 
<laughs> there you go. You can see it already. So there's good culture. There's bad culture. Let's start by just sort of introing the, the topic, defining the parameters. You don't have to give us details about your specific culture. And Josh, why don't we just start with you? If you could just tell us what you think of when you think of good culture. And again, it doesn't have to be specifics. It doesn't have to be specific to your company, but try to just give us an idea of distinguishing good culture from bad. Yeah, well, I think when you could define culture, you would see it in the people that you are working with and around in how they conduct themselves and how eager they are to be at work and being with their coworkers. You would see it in their context, in their body language. You would know whether you have good culture or not by how people behave around others, whether it be your clients or other employees. I like it. I like it. That's an excellent start. Cole, what would you add to Josh's explanation? Uh, you know, I completely agree with Josh. And just on a personal level, for me, it's... Uh, just making sure that it's a genuine, authentic reflection of me in a way, right? Because uh, I want it to be able to also be perpetuated beyond myself. And a lot of times that can be hard, but um, also just feeling the respect that we all have for each other in our own company, because when that exists, it's felt outside of our company. And that being consistent amongst everybody really tells me that our culture is on point or off point. I think consistency is an awesome point because we've got two people here that have incredible cultures. And Andrew, you did a really good job summing that up as like happiness and chill. Nice. <laughs> but, you know, I think a great thing that I've seen, at least in companies that, that I've seen with really strong cultures is that the employees have a sense of expectation as well. And that they don't come into work every day with fire alarms going off right and left and they don't know what's expected of them and they solve a problem one way one day and it's applauded and they solve that problem the same way the next day and it's reprimanded. And I think that's an excellent point just about consistency that you see everybody pulling the cart in the same direction. And it's something that I have seen really shine in, in both of these companies. So Josh, we can start with you again. Has culture always been kind of a center point of things that you worked on? And if so, why was it a priority for you? Great question. And no, I can't say that it was always something that I worked on and recognized. I would say in the beginning of my journey with Albright, our culture was a little confused and we didn't know what our true culture was until I identified our four top values of the company. And like what Cole said, you know, it's got to be real and it's got to be authentic. And when I authentically identified what those values are, is when our culture really started to flourish because we believed in those values and it was a true belief. It wasn't just, uh, let's just put down some things that we think we should be. It was things that we really were committed to being. And I think that's where we really started to see our culture and identifying it so that we had a direction. 
prior to it, we didn't have any direction. I always knew growing up in the business that I didn't want to work for anybody. I wanted to be my own boss. I knew that. And the reasons, my reasonings for being a boss were different from others. I didn't want to be a boss to somebody else, even in my business. And you'll hear me, if you were ever to come into our business, you would hear somebody say, hey, that's my boss. Or, And I'll say, no, no, if they didn't know, I like to be referred to as coach. And that's the differentiator for me when it comes to, do I see myself as somebody's boss or do I see myself as somebody's coach? Because I think when you realize that you get people to identify where they want to go and you help them get there, becomes a really good culture. That is an outstanding point. And I noticed that you said when we came up with our top values that we all believed in, you didn't say I, I came up with values and I told them what those values were going to be. And they were expected to carry those same values. There is very much like a sense of collaboration, I think, there. Cole, how about you? Has culture always been a center point for you? Yes, and I I think I owe that to Josh, actually, because I first met Josh before I worked at Novo, and Josh and Albright has always had this strong sense of their brand and their identity in my eyes, right? So actually, I was a little surprised to hear Josh's answer to that, because (laughs) it actually... He serves as a great symbol and a great goal for, I think, a lot of companies out there. And the last time I saw Josh was at the Phoenix Convention, right, Josh? We're riding in the bus to the Sharon Williams party. And he told me, he said, Cole, there's one word that encompasses your culture. And I was like, what is it? And Josh was like, aloha. And in my head, I was just thrown back a little because it's very true to who I am, but because I, you know, I'm native Hawaiian, I'm from Hawaii. Aloha to me, it can be generic sometimes up in the mainland, right? Where it's like flower lace, tiki torches, pineapples on pizzas and all of this <laughs> kind of other stuff. And it's really not that for me. And so I've always been hesitant to um, embrace that word um, as the symbol of my culture. I've always been like that. But Josh kind of gave me this permission the last time I saw him to say No, that's genuine to you. So it's just about how we now practice that so that I can have like this higher bar of making sure it's authentic, right? And so to directly answer your question, yeah, it's always been on my mind, but it's it's because of Josh that (laughs) put it there uh, uh, years ago, you know. We've all been given that direction. I can tell you how it happened for me. I was at a Nolan Consulting meeting back in Philadelphia. This was probably 15, maybe even 20 years ago. Uh, It might have been 15. Anyway, they sat us down and they asked us to review this page of words. There was about 70 words on this page that you were to pick your top 10 words out of it that relate to your company and how you you want to communicate And all these words out of the 70, you wanted to pick about 30 or 40 of them, you know, professional, uh, quality, any, you just think of so many descriptive words and they were all on this page and you could only pick 10. And after you pick 10, they said, now you can only pick five. And that even got more challenging. 
And then the last assignment was, now you have to pick one. And it was at that moment when the light bulb went off for me and it set me on the course and the direction for our company. And that was happiness. Once I recognized that happiness was my core belief about our company is I want everyone to be happy who either comes in contact with Albright, whether it be a customer, whether it be our employees or our team members, whether it be our community locally and our trade. I want anyone who comes in contact with Albright to be happy. That was the top value. And then from there, I was able to share that with my team and we came up with the other four. But that really set us on that direction. You know, it's uh, listening to you guys talk, it's, it's really an extension of, I don't know, decades ago when it was all like, hey, companies need to have a mission statement. And I think as many people embrace that concept as mocked that concept. And I think all of these things, and of course, we still deal with that. Some people think this is a ridiculous waste of time. Okay, we're not forcing you to do it. But whether it's, you know, similar to the, the old Myers-Briggs personality test, or if you're a fan of Enneagram, or Clifton Strengths, right? There's so many programs out there that mm-hmm. serve to try to capture someone's essence, not to label you, but to help you understand you. Because the better you can understand you, okay, now I've got a foundation. I'm sort of understanding what my essence is and what I want to do and accomplish. And so the same is true, clearly, when it comes to figuring out what you want your culture to be, what your culture is, some people just want a job and some people just want to offer a job. And you know what? That's what I offer. I don't offer culture. If you need more than that, go work for your mom, right? Maybe there's some, some yeah. boomers out there that, uh, that have that attitude. Not look at me labeling. Shame on me. Um, but all of that said, I think it is a wonderful opportunity to get a better grasp clearly on what it is you hope to accomplish other than run a business, what you offer employees other than a job. There's certainly plenty of studies to talk about young people and how they want to believe they're part of a bigger cause and they're contributing. So all of that gobbledygook said, Cole, let's start with you. How would you describe the culture at Novo Painting? Walk us through the cultural feel, the cultural landscape there at Novo Painting. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned before, I'm from Hawaii. So, you know, it's uh, Aloha Spirit is live and well there, meaning Hey, you come to my house, come eat, come drink, come enjoy your time. If I never see you again, hey, nice seeing you, right? Or, you know, you're on a small island and every relationship you build, you can burn bridges if you don't handle that right. And I think the overall vibe that people get, you know, when walking through the front door or the clients we interact with on a daily or the community work that we do is similar to Josh. You know, it's this feeling of positive vibrations. And just to say that, look. It's only paint. Like, we're going to make mistakes, but just know that when you come here, we're going to support our relationship and make sure that we're going to move forward from those mistakes. Don't be scared about that, right? There's this sense of security that I think some of our people have here where they respect it, right? They understand that I'm not a micromanager and I'm really here to help build them up and help empower them within our guardrails of our culture and our company, which is based on respect. That's a huge part of the core. You know, what I did is I asked my people, hey, what's the number one thing? And they said, well, mutual respect sets a good foundation for us to be positive, right? 
And when people have that coming in and can leave that guard out, that's the first thing you see them shed when they come through the front doors, right? Is this, this guard. And we try to create that environment of just safety, positive support, so we can see the best version of themselves as a representative of Novo out in community or with the clients. So to encompass that word of aloha, again, is, is really to welcome people in. They feel that spirit. They feel the welcoming support and really give them that foundation to do the best work they can once they leave. I love it. And it shouldn't surprise us that you did such a fabulous job of describing this qualitative thing as the culture at Novo. And by the way, Emily, when we post this podcast, we should add a tag of ASMR. Because if you just listen to Cole talk, man, the chill just comes over you. Right? <laughs> pretty <true>. great. What <laughs> so, is ASMR? <laughs> yeah, what is Josh, that? come on. We don't, I, unfortunately, I don't have time to go into that. Feel free to Google ASMR. Google <laughs> yes, you will. Today's podcast is brought to you by Frog Tape. To get the job done right the first time, trust Frog Tape Pro-Grade Painter's Tape. The only blue tape good enough to be Frog Tape. Treated with paint block technology, this blue painter's tape prevents paint bleed, removes cleanly from most surfaces for up to 14 days, and delivers the sharp paint line performance you expect from the Frog Tape brand. Frog Tape Pro-Grade combines the sharp paint lines of paint block technology with the value of a traditional blue painter's tape. Available exclusively in a contractor multi-pack to deliver at a project-friendly price. Shutching. To learn more about the brand rated number one by pros for sharp paint lines, check out frogtape.com slash contractor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bear Ultra Scuff Defense. This interior extra durable flat paint sets a new standard for flat paint durability. Scuff Defense is a 100% acrylic paint and primer with stain blocking formula featuring breakthrough innovation to deliver a rich flat finish that is truly durable enough for high traffic areas. It provides advanced scuff and mar resistance exceptional burnish resistance, easy stain removal, antimicrobial mildew resistance, and hides and fewer coats. Scuff Defense is interior paint that's too tough to scuff. Too tough to scuff. It's available in flat, eggshell, satin, and semi-gloss finishes. For more information, visit bearpro.com slash scuff defense. Bear Ultra Scuff Defense is exclusively available at the Home Depot. And you can contact a Bear Pro representative by visiting bear.com slash rep. Josh, how about you? How would you describe the culture that you're fostering there at Albright? Wow. Well, I can't say it any better than Cole. In fact, the way Cole described his culture, I would say we mimic that as well in all the same qualities. Where ours comes from is really our four values. It's We want people, we tell people when they come to work here, the very first thing is we say, we want to become the very best place you've ever worked. And we're truly going to work towards that. 
and do everything we can within our four values as a guide. And that is with the support. Same thing that Cole talked about. We want people to feel supported. We talk about that. We tell them, you don't have to lie to us if there was a mistake. Don't feel like you have to lie about it. We ask for ownership of that, own it, and then we will come alongside of you and support you in making that change. That's the trust part of our value is we say, not only do you want to trust us when you come to work here, that we're going to do and say what we are going to do for you or the growth path or the training that we're going to give you and all that you want to trust. We want to trust you as well in those things. So we talk about that in a lot of our meetings. We also talk about our next value, and that is the we, not me attitude. We want our team members to know that nothing can get done individually and become great. It takes us all to make something happen and to grow this company. And so we give respect and value to other parts of our company so that it's a we, not me attitude. And when somebody starts complaining about something that they don't like to do, but yet the whole team does it and does it well and feels like it's something that really supports what we're doing, then they have to get in line with that. And then our last value is we're always asking ourselves, is that the best we can do? And if it is great, if we know we could do better, then we're always striving for doing better. And so it keeps us growing and it keeps us being progressive in even how we treat each other, how we respect each other, or the new culture that's coming in, in terms of the new generation, really, is that the best we can do saying that's how we've always done it? That's not our culture. So we teach those four values that then creates that culture. So, and you all have both said that your culture wasn't always at this, right? This is, this is not something that appears one day because even if you as the owner are bought in and you want a good, a positive culture that is fostered with respect and trust and security, you've got to bring everybody else in under that umbrella. And not everybody is always open to the we, not me (laughs) kind of attitude. What have you done to help bring people in line and especially people who maybe struggled with this a little bit more? Josh, why don't we start with you? Well, when people struggle within our four values, it's usually discussed and it's identified pretty quickly, usually. So when somebody isn't a part of our four values or struggling with one of them, we'll usually go and have a one-on-one with them. We call it a check-in and we check in. And the first thing we ask them, you know, you know, are you happy? And what can we do if you're not? And we discuss it one-on-one and we have that check-in and that check-in is then communicated to management so that everyone's aware of where this person is struggling. And then there's follow-ups to that. And that's typically how we deal with it now. In the beginning, I would say that it's self-regulated as we started to really take hold of our values and this culture, people started to either exit themselves or we would come to a point where we would have to make a decision based upon those values. And if this person 
doesn't fit into the culture, then it's time to let them go be successful somewhere else. And that's how we've dealt with it and how we continue to deal with it. Yeah. Cole, how about you? How have you all dealt with with people that maybe struggled with getting on board with your culture? Well, you you know, full disclosure, we're we're a fraction of the size of Albright, right? But I think the, the challenge is still there of how do you perpetuate the culture through different players on the team. And and this is our 10th year of Novo. And it's only really this year where I feel confident that I have the right strategy and players on board to move this forward, the culture I, I have envisioned, right? And in this last year, we've really gone and dug into the, you know, uh, Jim Collins, good to great fly, the flywheel moment. And how do I keep that flywheel moving on a small scale and then build that momentum, understanding that little pebbles will come in there and might slow it down a little. But we're trying to avoid those big boulders from screwing up our whole flywheel momentum. And so once I was able to identify five different players who all were on different positions in the company, from crew leader to apprentice, who just were outstanding examples of culture for us. I brought them to the flywheel table, right? And in the winter, we continually talked about the values and what we appreciated about each other. We did a whole, it was called the win-loss, where we'd share each other's wins and losses. Then it turned into, let's just talk about our losses and celebrate our losses, right? And once we did that, the ego flew out of the room. We all came to celebrate every time we failed. And that spirit of that flywheel kept getting stronger. And so as that flywheel has gotten stronger, I've involved them into how I hire new people. I ask them to call new candidates and check in and see what they feel like. I assign them as mentors to new ones coming in. And I try to partner apprentice mentors with craftsmen mentees. And the dynamic is great. Because it throws curveballs to these people where they're like, wait, that guy, I don't have, that person has less experience to me. How are they my mentor? I'm like, well, here it's about you have to really be a good fit for our culture. And you're going to come in 50% understanding what it is, but you're going to learn the rest of it. You just have to be okay that what you learn that what it takes to survive out there is different than what it takes to survive in here. And they're here to help you, right? And so once we kind of establish those relationships and set the platform and give people an expectation of, hey, your first day is not going to be your best day. It's going to be your worst day here. And we're only going to get better from there. It opens their minds up that there's this constant evolution that they're going to learn the culture as we move forward. But hold on, (laughs) hang on there. You're going to go for a ride. And as we prepare them mentally, it's helped to keep our flywheel from having big rocks into those flywheel that stops the momentum. Now it's little pebbles. We can coach the pebbles out or we can coach them along to keep that momentum moving. And we, we just try to remember that, you know, keep the momentum moving. I would just add to that with Cole's flywheel, a big rock would be a subculture that starts to happen. Yeah, and yeah. That's a big rock that comes into a flywheel that would stop it. And that's what you want to be aware of. And you want to let people know that subcultures are not tolerated within our culture. 
That's a very interesting concept that I actually had not considered at all. Can you talk a little bit more about subculture and what that is and when you've seen that and how you've gone about uh, dismantling it? So subcultures can happen when the culture, either if you have somebody maybe in management or in some sort of leadership position who, let's say, decides they are not really agreeing with part of the culture or the way that we do things and want to do it their way and start socializing that idea with the people they work with. And you start to find out that they're talking about their way or how they do it. And it's more, again, about them and not about the we. And once you recognize that and you start seeing that happen, you'll start to see distance happening within your bigger culture. You'll see that they're not participating in the same type of events and things that you're having. When you recognize that, it's good to have, obviously, a talk with whoever's leading that. But you also let the people that are working under that leader know that it doesn't do any good for somebody to complain to you or you to complain to them who isn't in a position to make that change. And like guys will, for an instance, the guys will complain about maybe their wage to another employee. And we teach that, yes, you've complained to that employee about your wage and you're not happy about it, but how does he help you get that a higher wage? And when they realize he really can't, then we teach that why would you talk to him about that? It doesn't do you any good. It only gets you in trouble because now you're causing a, a micro culture that's happening about you're not happy. And so that's why we teach those areas of bring it to the person that can make that change. Don't speak to your colleagues about something they can't change. That kind of complaining for complaining's sake. Right. Yeah. And Josh is hitting on gossip, right? Like yeah. go- that gossip is a silent killer, really. And mm-hmm. it's being created by individuals who are actually unclear about what's going on. Right. Like there's this gap of communication. It can be their own perception. It can be like other people's gossips influencing more gossip and all of that just creates more drama. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, how do we get past this stuff? And if you try to somehow encourage the environment of, well, no, you have an issue, you can approach your leader because you're not in trouble if you share what's on your mind, or if you made a mistake or any of that, that security allows them to communicate that, which hopefully gives us an opportunity to coach them out of the gossip. The gossip, what somebody said is like when people who are talking to other people who can't do anything about it, that's exactly what Josh, Josh right. is hit on right there, you know? And I think that's the silent killer that sometimes takes the wind out of our business owner sales. <laughs> Cause you're like, man, can we just get work done and enjoy it at the same time? No, you can't. There's a lack of clarity sometimes, you know, most times. Another thing that I was curious about, you know, because both of you all, you have a very positive culture, but your culture to me, at least has always felt like it's very noticeable. It's something that I see in 
the projects that you're doing, the pictures that you send, your marketing, your branding, all of these things sort of seem to really market this culture that you've got inside of your company. I'm curious that given the fact that we are in the midst of a labor crisis, how are you guys doing? Do you think that your culture is giving you a leg up on your competition as far as bringing labor in? I would say yes, 100% that our culture attracts people to our company. In fact, today, one of our competitors' salesperson reached out to us because of that very culture that he sees. And he said it wasn't a part of the culture he was at at his company, and he wanted to be a part of that. And he started just today is his first day. And that was one of his biggest reasons why we didn't poach him in any way. We just had our ad out and he came across it and was willing to make that big change for him. You know, he's got a family and all that. And he decided to come on over. And I've heard that so many times from people who are applying that the reason why they are applying is it looks like a really great place to work. And that's part of why we post and put that image out there is because we want people to know who we really are. And when you put that out there, it's noticed. Well, how about you? I'd agree with Josh. I mean, 10, 10, over 10 years ago when I left my previous job, Josh's culture called me to be there too (laughs) in California, you know, and that was everything just being put out there and and how could you not want to be a part of it, you know? For our company here, the branding machine hasn't been soaking that long. But I would say that the candidates I'm getting through wouldn't have come through Indeed or the typical routes that you normally do. Like, I'm getting a lot of interest through Instagram where we're not intentionally marketing like Instagram to say all of these things, right? Our principle is create the impact, capture the story, and share the story. And whoever comes, comes, and whoever doesn't, doesn't, right? It's kind of like... Low bar, I guess, if you will. <laughs> but the people we're seeing come through right now, it's, it's interesting because they're saying, we want to be part of your guys' company, but what do you guys do again? Like, is it painting? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm like, hey, come learn about it. And I've learned that if I can have a good person who's responding and, and like-minded and understands a part of what we're doing here, they'll make for a great team member as in the field, you know, I've had tons of DoorDash people come interested. You know, not all have worked out, but some have really excelled through the last couple of years with us. And I've been shocked by that aspect of it, right? I'm not going to lie. You know, this year I've been telling everyone I don't paint exteriors. And they're like, why Why are you even saying that? I'm like, well, I don't want to be stuck in a position where I have to have X amount of bodies in the field so I can get through all of this work. i rather level out my overall schedule so that I can prioritize my culture and making sure my flywheel keeps moving. And as I've done that, it's been odd of what, what has happened. It's just like, whoa, our interior schedule all of a sudden is just through the roof. And we're still in the point of, yes, we need more bodies, but you know what? I think I'm going to start saying no a lot more because preserving our flywheel of culture right now is more important than really anything that I got going. I don't want to lose that. So that's how we kind of shifted the business a bit. Let's talk a bit about advice for contractors. And I also want to say, you know, it's almost unfair, I think, for some listeners, because both of you 
Cole and Josh, on the continuum of charisma, you're pretty far forward, right? You're putting off some big feels, right? You're emotional guys. You're you're well spoken. You uh, a lot of charisma. Not everybody's like that. Somebody like me, dragging their knuckles, breathing through their mouth, right? Um, we can't all be Josh and Cole. So kind of joking, but I'm also serious, right? What if somebody is like, you know, yeah, I don't want to just offer a job, but I'm also not Mr. Charisma. I'm not really sure what my culture should be. And I'm sure you guys probably know some contractors. I definitely don't want you to name them. But if you could think of some some contractors, some examples who who aren't, you know, Johnny Popular, but they have tapped into a culture. What advice do you give those people? How, how can you find your voice when it comes to culture? That's a great point, Andrew. And I think that what I think we all recognize is everyone has a culture. There is a culture in every company. And when the owner or the CEO of the company decides he wants to improve that culture. The advice I would give is to stay like what Cole said, be authentic about what it is and you go with that culture. So it doesn't mean that you have to be charismatic. You have to be feely touchy, you know, whatever it is, but each company has its culture. And if you want to work on that culture, then you identify what is happening that is not authentic and true to your company or in yourself. And that's when it becomes real and you want it to become real. You want it, you want to identify it and you want to have a direction for it. doesn't mean it has to be like ours or like mine or like Cole's. It doesn't have to be a happy culture. It could actually be a extreme ownership culture where we extremely own our work. You know, it could be any direction it needs to go for you to be authentic. And then when you have that, you communicate that. You communicate it and you get better at communicating it. Doesn't mean you have to be the front person if that's not who you are, but you have to be committed to making sure that what you want is being communicated and handled. That'd be love it. Yeah, Cole, go, man. Uh, You know, when I first came to Washington, I had this head trash that I don't speak clearly enough, you know, or proper enough. Because in Hawaii, we're, we're laid back. It's broken English and all kind of mixed words. And and I just didn't have that confidence up here. In fact, short story, I was on um, <laughs> live TV uh, doing an interview of our current project on the Pike Place Market sign. And the closed caption, I said, paint is currently falling off. Well, the closed caption said, penis is currently falling off. Right. And so here I am still dealing with my head trash speech uh, (laughs) uh, challenges and it's still there. But what I've learned is that that's part of the culture action is that I'm being myself. I'm not really caring. Actually, I have to be professional, of course, but I'm really been tuna. And I can't say this enough about the last interaction with Josh I had because Josh actually held that mirror up and has thrown me off the last couple of years because it's like I'm fighting to be myself. That's a weird thing to think of. Yeah. But that's the truth, actually, is that I have to be okay with it that, hey, these things that you don't feel so confident about, it's not what Josh is doing down there in California or any other contractor around the nation. It's really what is important to me, myself, 
and what kind of company I want to be engaged and motivated through. Like that's unique to what will make me motivated, right? It sounds selfish, but it is. It is selfish because we're setting that tone for the other people we're going to impact who come here, right? They need to be working on a sturdy foundation. And if here as the business owner and the creator of Novo, I have to ensure that I'm confident in that foundation before I can help anybody else. And so it was almost like a self-reflection thing that I had to do personally to feel better about who I am, where I'm from, and what I represent, so that that can come out tenfold in the culture. Well said, Cole. And I would also say that it can be collaborative with your team. If you have a team of people that you rely on and ask for their input into your culture, the only thing that we're talking about, I think Cole and I are speaking on, is the authenticity of it all. Because if you don't have it, you can't give it. So if it's not real to you, you're ne really never going to promote a culture that isn't real to you. So it could be a collaborative decision amongst your team, but you have to land on what is real to the team and what will be pushed forward in an authentic way. Yeah, well said. And I think, Josh, you walked us through one exercise that you did to begin, you know, really kind of distilling your core values. Do either of you have any other stories about strategies or worksheets or anything that you went through to kind of get to this, the authentic place that both of you are in? Because it is, a, it's an oddly challenging place to get to. Sure. You know, it's a, uh, what we did is a, like, and I'm sure other companies have done, it's just that basic uh, post-it exercise where you get their whole team involved and then you have them write down on post-its what are the three words that describe best uh, our culture to them. And we found all these similarities and all the the word that has the most, right? It all, all of a sudden gets folded into your culture. But at the end of the day, you have to balance that with what you know as the business owner of how to, like how Josh is, like, really take that input and make it part of one culture, right? But that practice, I felt, gave them a voice to the culture. It didn't discredit anything they're feeling or anything like that. But as a group, it allowed them to share their true feelings about it and see where we all align on. Because we're not all the same people. We don't have all the same values, you know. But there are certain things that we all think the same about. And that just kind of gave them the opportunity to be heard, you know, and that's an annual thing. After that happens, then it really gets that buy-in, I think, to what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah. Man, I love it. It's such a, like I said, a qualitative concept, a, a nuanced concept. Tremendous discussion because you guys threaded the needle, did exactly what we were hoping, which is to voice that nebulous concept of culture and you, you nailed it and we love it and if you want to learn more if you want to if you want to see because you can see their culture in their websites check them out go to albrightpainting.com go to novopainting.com novo n-o-v-o i would actually add go to our instagram and facebook pages is where you'll really see our culture Albright Painting and Albright Concrete Coatings. If you go to those platforms, you'll really see the culture. Our website is a little more static and doesn't get updated as much. 
but you're right. You can go there too. I'll tell you the same thing as Josh is like the, where you're going to feel the culture is through our Instagram. Definitely better than our website. I think for us, it just, it speaks directly to the target audience for us, but that's really where you are going to feel it. Novel painting and Instagram. Sweet. Love it. I was impressed with the website, but look at that. You can do even better. That's what you learn on paintmag.com. And I'll tell you another thing that, that is clear from this conversation is, man, if you're a contractor and you don't have someone you can network, whether they're in painting or some other field, it's just so important to have those peers that you can chat with who get to know you, who can push you and challenge you. I love hearing the back and forth between Cole and Josh, just tremendous stuff. So Josh Abramson of Albright Painting in Los Angeles and Cole Pelea of Novo Painting and Property Services in Seattle. Guys, tremendous. Thank you for being on the podcast. Great discussion. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you for what you're doing for the industry. Both of you, for sure. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. Well said again. Yes. We love what you're doing. Thank you very much for having us on. We appreciate it. And I just want to let everyone know that they don't have to worry because every little thing is going to be all bright. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. I believe it. I, I truly believe it. Thank you for the yeah. kind words, man. We love what we do, Emily and I, and we hope you love what you do and you can love it even more. Keep working hard. Keep your double chin up, as I say. And if, <laughs> if you're looking for more resources, go to paintmag.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.